If you have your Bibles tonight, I'd encourage you to take it and join me in Luke chapter number one, please. The first chapter in the Gospel of Luke is where we'll be tonight. And uh, I, I, I realize we've, uh, uh, we've already, uh, well, we're, we've been here for about 35 minutes or so, and it's been a good 35 minutes. We make no apologies for that. And so, but I will, be, I will be aware that our preliminaries have been just a little bit longer tonight, and, uh, and so we will uh, do our best to, uh, to be as, as timely as possible, and yet we do have a message that the Lord has laid upon our heart. Would you look with me in verse number 26 of Luke chapter number, uh, Luke chapter number 1? The Bible says that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, you see the sixth month there, that's, the, that's six months after the angel had come to Zacharias and told him that his wife was going to have a child. And of course, that child would be John the Baptist. And so Elizabeth, uh, as Zacharias' wife, is six months along. And so in that sixth month, when she was expecting John the Baptist, who of course would be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. You know, the Christmas story is a familiar one to all of us, isn't it? And and for that very reason, I must tell you that as a preacher, sometimes preachers get a little troubled by trying to find new ways to communicate this well-known story. Uh, just a few moments before the service, a faithful man in our church came to me and he said, hey, I'm looking forward to hearing what you're gonna tell us new about Mary. And I said, I, I, I gotta be honest with you, I really don't have anything new to tell you about Mary. We're just gonna tell you what you probably already know, but uh, trust that the Lord will use it in your heart and in your life. You may, you may be acquainted with the very popular gospel or Chris, uh, Christian song, Christmas song maybe, Mary, Did You Know? And I think that was probably written in the last, I don't know, 25 or 30 years. Uh, but tonight, I don't want to ask the question, Mary, Did You Know? I would like for us to consider a different question altogether. And that question is on the screen here this evening. Why Mary? Of all of the women alive at this time, why was she chosen above the rest? What was it that was so special about her that made her suitable for such a calling? You know, we must acknowledge God's sovereignty in everything. His sovereignty in everything. In his infinite wisdom, God chose Mary according to his divine plan and will. You see, only one woman, only one could be chosen for this task, and she was that one. But are there in Scripture, are there some clear indicators that reveal exactly why it was that God chose her? You know, little is known about Mary prior to all of this, and I have to be very frank with you, really little is known about her after all of this. And there's a good reason for that. And can I help you understand what that reason is, why we really don't know a whole lot about 
of this individual named Mary? Here's the reason. The emphasis was never to be about her. This isn't her story. This is, this is Christ's story. She was simply the vessel through which God would send to this world his only begotten son. But you know as well as I do that man has always been transfixed on the messenger above the message. Man has, uh, that, that, that's just sort of how he's wired. Today even, some, some might wish to idolize a preacher or a pastor over the message that that person is called to preach. In some respects, I think Satan has done a masterful job at diverting attention away from Jesus and causing many to focus on Mary. You know, I want to give you some well-known quotes from, uh, from some, and I certainly don't, uh, don't want to step too much on any toast. I don't want to offend anybody, but I am called to tell you the truth and to preach to you the truth. I want to, I want to share with you some, some well-known quotes from Roman Catholic leadership throughout history that clearly places an inappropriate and undue emphasis on her role in this story. There was a man named St. Alphonsus Maria de Liguri, and here's what he said. He said, Mary, having cooperated in our redemption with so much glory to God and so much love for us, our Lord ordained that no one shall obtain salvation except through her intercession. That ought to make your blood boil. And by the way, if Mary was here tonight, it'd make her blood boil. Because she didn't hang on that cross, her son Jesus did. She didn't live a sinless life, her son Jesus did. Here's another, here's another quote, this comes from St. Basil the Great. O sinner, be not discouraged, but have recourse to Mary in all your necessities. Call her to your assistance, for such is the divine will that she should help in every kind of necessity. I just want you to know something. I faced a lot of problems, a lot of issues, and Mary has never one time come to my rescue. But I want you to know, there have been times in which I've fallen on my face before the Lord, and Jesus has come to my rescue every single time. Mary doesn't exist to help you in your necessities. That's what God is for. That's what his son is for. That's what his Holy Spirit is for. St. Francis de Sales said this, let us run to Mary and as her little children cast ourselves into her arms with a perfect confidence. St. Therese of Lisieux, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but St. Therese said this, in trial or difficulty, I have recourse to Mother Mary whose glance alone is enough to dissipate every fear. Now, let's contrast this idolatry of Mary with what we really find in the Scriptures. Mary's song recorded for us in this very same chapter of Luke chapter number 1 reveals Mary having a spirit of humility before the Lord we read of that in verses 46 through 55. In, in, her, in her son, she magnifies the Lord, not herself uh, in this song. In verse 46, she recognizes in verse number 48 her low estate. She acknowledges God's holiness, his mighty power in verse 49. She acknowledges God's mercy in verse number 54. And she acknowledges his faithfulness to fulfill his promised word in verse number 55. In other words, Mary's song is not at all about Mary. Mary's song is about how great her God is. 
And tonight I want to preach to you a message, not, not how great Mary was, but I want to lift up, I want to lift up God. I want to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to, I, I want all of us to strive to have the same heart and the same desire and the same love for, for her Lord as, as you and I could have for our Lord tonight. Mary understood that this story being written was his story and that she, listen, she was just playing a supporting role. That, that's all she was. She wasn't the main character, as it, as it were. She wasn't the star of the show. No, no, she was just playing a supporting role in the story of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is really vital that we recognize this truth. But it is also important, I believe, that we understand how exemplary she was in playing the role that God gave her to play. And I do believe that as we study the scriptures, ample evidence is given in our text as to why it is that God chose her to be the instrument through which his son would be born into this world. So I want to ask the question, why Mary? And I want to give you three answers. Number one, number one, because of her purity. Why Mary? Why was she a suitable vessel through which God would send his son into the world? Number one, because of her purity. Would you look in verse Number 27, the angel Gabriel was dispatched to a little city in Galilee called Nazareth. And notice he was dispatched to a virgin. Verse number 34, then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now listen, the first mention of a savior is given to us in Genesis 3.15. And in that first mention, it is clear that this Savior or this Deliverer would come to us by way of the seed of the woman. And the man is, is, is completely, in, in essence, he's completely dismissed altogether in this particular text. Genesis 3.15, here it is. It says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Now that is stated way differently than it should be stated, than it would be stated in any other context. And here's the reason why. Because God was telling us all the way back in Genesis 3.15 that a man is going to have no role in the coming of this Savior to this earth. That's what he's telling us. He's telling us when he says her seed between thee and the woman, he is saying that this that this child is going to come to us through, the, through, the, through the, the virgin that he was going to choose. Now, later, the prophet Isaiah expounded on this truth even more. In Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The Holy Spirit revealed in Matthew's gospel that Mary's selection was in part, it was in part due to the fact that she was a virgin. Matthew 1, 22 and 23 says this, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, taking us all the way back to Isaiah 7 and verse number 14 saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. Even the apostle Paul spoke of this in his writings. He said in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a, made of a woman, made of a woman, excluding the man altogether, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. Now you and I, listen, you and I know, we all know that this, this, this promise, this coming 
is an impossible thing. Can't be done. You, you cannot take, you cannot take a, a, young, a young girl who's never had a physical relationship with a man and, and, and that young girl bring a child into this world. Can't be done. And that's why Mary asked the question in verse 34, how shall this be? It's impossible. This can't happen. I've never been with a man in that way. And I want you to notice what God said in verse 37 of Luke chapter number one, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. God promised that it would be this way. And so the woman who would bear the Messiah would have, listen, she would have to be pure, having never known a man in an intimate way. Now the Bible tells us that when the angel Gabriel was dispatched to Nazareth, that he, that he did, he went to a virgin. Her name was Mary. And when he told her what was going to happen and that she was going to be a mother, she asked with all the, uh, the, the uh, incredulity that you can imagine, how shall this be? You know what she was doing? She was proclaiming her own purity and her own innocence. She was saying about herself, I can't, I can't have a child. That's impossible. I've never been, I've never been with a man in that way. She was, she was saying, listen, uh, this, this, is, this is impossible. This can't be. Joseph, Joseph also, listen, Joseph also believed her to be innocent and pure. And the Bible says in Matthew 1 and verse number 19, that when Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But listen, before, all, before he had gotten the news from the angel, he was under the, he was under the impression that his, his future bride, the one that he was betrothed to, was as pure as the wind-driven snow. And when he learned, when he learned that she was going to have a child, he was troubled. And he thought to himself, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to have to put her away and I'll, I'll do so privately. I don't want to embarrass her. I don't want to humiliate her. But listen, he, he, was, he was certain prior to all of this that she was pure. I want you to understand there is what Mary proclaimed of herself in Luke 1 in verse number 34. And there is what Joseph and perhaps the whole community that lived around her thought of her. But I want to I want to pause here for a moment, and I want to say far, far more important than all of that is what God Himself knew about her. You see, see, somebody could stand up and they can say, I'm pure. And others sitting around them, living around them, could say, As far as I know, he's pure, she's pure. But here's the question: what does what does God say about us? You see, you can fool, you can fool a lot of people. I've, I've been around long enough to know there's some people that have told a lie so many times they begin to believe it themselves. You can even fool yourself. I want you to know something. You cannot fool God. Why was that angel dispatched to Mary there in that little town in Galilee called Nazareth? Because she was pure. She was pure. We like to think that God will and can use anyone, no matter their past. And there is an element, certainly, of truth to this so long, so long as a man is willing, a woman is willing to confess their sin, repent of their sin, and forsake their sin, God can begin to use them again. However, however, there are some callings that require a higher level or a higher degree of purity. There are some things that God selects and chooses a man to do in which the standard is higher than everybody else. The Bible tells us 
of the qualifications given for a bishop or a pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And it is clear that God, listen, God limits a man from being able to lead his church in some ways if that man doesn't measure up to the qualifications that are given. It doesn't mean that men who don't measure up to these qualifications are worthless or of no value to the cause of Christ, but it does mean, it does mean that they cannot pastor or lead a church. Can I say that in a similar way, God required, listen, God required in the story of Jesus coming to this earth, he required a young woman who had never had a physical encounter with a man in any way to be the one who would carry his son. And I just want to say this, listen, I want to say to, the, to our church family, I want to say to our young people here tonight, purity still matters. It matters, it's important. It's a big deal. Listen, we are living in a world that has lost its mind as far as purity is concerned. Lost its mind. Can I, can I just say, in, in some respects, even the church itself has gone off the rails in some of these areas. And it's, and it's sad. It's, it's shameful. It ought not to be. I, I'm aware, listen, I'm aware of what the world is doing. But listen, I want you to know something. The biblical standard remains unchanged. God expects, God expects purity out of his people. I would say number two, not only was Mary able to be chosen because of her purity, but number two, because of her lineage. Because of her lineage. Would you look in verse number 27? The Bible says, to a virgin, a spouse, to a man whose name was Joseph. Now it says about this virgin, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. There are two lineages or two genealogies of Jesus that are recorded for us in the scriptures. In Matthew's gospel, we are given the lineage of Joseph's family. And in in Luke's gospel, we are given the lineage of Mary's family. Both Joseph and Mary, listen, both of them were descendants of David. You say, is that significant? It's quite significant. In fact, it's every bit as significant as the fact that she was pure. Because not only did God promise that he was, going, he was going to send his son into the world through a woman, through a woman that was pure, a virgin shall conceive. But God also promised to give to David a son who would reign forever and ever. The Bible says in First Chronicles 17 and verse number 14, but I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forevermore. Look in verses 32 and 33 of this same chapter that we're in, Luke chapter number one. Look what the Bible says there. He shall be great, speaking of Jesus, and shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now listen, with that in mind, with that in mind, it is imperative It is vital that Mary hail from the line of David. Can I say it was vital that she be a descendant of David because Joseph would only ever be Christ's supposed father. Now God, in his incredible uh, ability to fulfill his word, God not only made, made it so that Mary was of the lineage of David, but God also made it so that Joseph was of the lineage of David as well. So there could be, listen, there could be no arguing. There could be no debating about this whatsoever. Would you look at me in Luke chapter 3? Look what the Bible says there in verse number 23. Luke chapter 3 and verse number 23. The author here is getting ready to give Christ lineage. And look what it says. And Jesus, Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, notice the next phrase, as was supposed. 
Again, that's another, that's another reference to Mary's purity. Because Joseph was not the father of Jesus. Jesus had a father. It's God the father. Joseph isn't him. But, but I, I think it's fascinating that not only is Mary of the, a direct descendant of David, but so also is Joseph. Both of their lineages, both of their genealogies run through King David. Now listen, this is important. This is noteworthy. Here's why. Because it reminds us, listen, it reminds us that God always fulfills his word. He always fulfills his word. In other words, if he has said it, if he has said it, it's going to happen. Exactly. If he's promised it, you can take that promise to the bank. Perhaps David assumed that the promises given in 1 Chronicles 17 applied only to his son Solomon. But I want to remind you, Solomon would not reign forever and ever. Solomon would reign for a period of, I believe, 40 years, and then Solomon would die, and he would go to the grave just like every other person that has ever lived. No, no, the promise made in 1 Chronicles 17 has nothing to do with Solomon. It has everything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. The promise was made concerning him who would come someday through David's line, and his kingdom would be everlasting. And I just want to remind you, God makes promises and God fulfills those promises. Now, the world, listen, the world around us takes a significant risk by assuming that just because some of God's promises have not been fulfilled yet, then they won't ever be fulfilled. All around us, we're living around people who scoff when they hear of a second coming. They scoff when they hear of a judgment seat of Christ or of a great white throne judgment. They scoff when they hear of a seven-year tribulation period. They scoff when they hear of a millennial reign of Jesus Christ where he will rule and reign with a rod of iron from the city of Jerusalem. Uh, They scoff when they hear of a literal heaven and a literal hell. They scoff, they mock, they laugh about these things uh, that the trumpet is going to sound and the the eastern sky is going to open and the dead in Christ are going to rise and we which are alive and remain. Are you kidding me? the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I just want you to know something. They're taking a considerable risk by reading this book and saying, it will never happen. By reading this book and disregarding what God has promised. Listen, friend, look around you. Look at what's happening in this world. And then pause and stop and consider, wait a minute, thousands of years ago, men sat down with a pen of ink and some quill in their hand and they wrote what God told them to write and some of the very things that they wrote are happening in our time. They're happening in our day and age. I can't understand how anyone could consider the promises that God has made and how he has fulfilled every one of his promises to date and yet we understand there are promises yet to be fulfilled and understanding based on his track record, hey listen, he's going to fulfill those promises. So we think about her lineage, and she was of the house of David, significant, significant enough that it's mentioned several times in Scripture. As the narrative, the story is being given to us, it is repeated, don't forget, she was a virgin. Don't forget, she was of the house of David. It, it makes a difference. Can I say thirdly, why Mary? Number three, because of her surrender. Because of her surrender. Would you look in verse 38? Mary gets the news that she has been chosen. She's pure, comes from the right family. 
And I think the third reason that is given to us as to why God would have chosen someone like her, and Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Mary's response given in the 38th verse to all that the angel had revealed to her, listen, is most telling. In a moment, Mary's life has absolutely been turned completely upside down. She must wonder how Joseph is going to respond when he learns that she is going to give birth to a child that is not his. Do you suppose that thought went through her mind? The rumors, she can already anticipate the rumors from those in her community. They're surely going to run rampant. Did you hear about Mary? We thought, we thought she was pure, but maybe we were wrong. All of these thoughts she wrestles with, and then she, she must push far away, and she responds humbly and beautifully to God's call upon her life. If you wonder why Mary was chosen, the above factors were vital to fulfill God's promised word. But I believe that perhaps what we find here in verse 38 might have been what it was that propelled Mary above the rest. You see, there had to have been, there had to have been other girls that were alive at that time or that were as pure as Mary was. There had to have been other girls that not only were pure, but also came from the house of David. By this point in time, the house of David is a rather large house. It's been hundreds of years since David has lived, and families multiply and multiply and multiply in those periods of time. Mary Mary could not have been the only girl that was of the house and lineage of David and that was a pure young lady at this point in time. So so maybe, just maybe, verse 38 gives us the, the best clue that we have as to why it was that she was chosen above the rest. Number one, I want you to consider she viewed herself In this response, she viewed herself as a servant of the Lord. She viewed herself as a servant of the the Lord. She uses the term in verse 38, behold the handmaid. The word handmaid comes from the Greek word doule, and it means a female slave, whether it could be be voluntarily or it could be involuntarily. And so here's what she's doing. She's acknowledging God's divine power and authority over her life. And she's willingly placing herself under him. She says, I'm nothing more than your slave. If that's what you want from me, what what choice do I have? I'm willing to do it. You're the master, I'm the slave. You're the leader, I'm the follower. I'm simply a servant. I am here to do your bidding. I'm here to do whatever it is that you would have me to do. Christ would later say, wouldn't he, that greatness, her son, her son would later say that greatness in his kingdom is found in serving as opposed to being served. Certainly we know that Jesus was the word of God in flesh. But I I don't suppose it, it probably didn't hurt any that as he was growing up in that home, and it's so hard to know what he knew when, and when he you know, came to the realization, you know, I mean, he's, he's just, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to even delve into that tonight, but don't you suppose it, it probably didn't hurt that as he grew up in that home, he watched as his mother fulfilled her calling as just simply being a handmaid of the Lord and just serving God faithfully throughout her life in whatever way that looked like. Probably more than anything, it just, it just looked like being a godly mother being a, a, a person that, that he, could, he could look to. The Bible says in Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28, but it shall not be so among you. 
But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Matthew Henry, famed theologian and author, died at the young age of 52, almost 300 years ago. He said to a friend as he lay on his deathbed, He said, you have been used to take notice of the sayings of dying men. Here is mine. That a life spent in the service of God and communion with him is the most pleasant life that anyone can live in this world. Isn't that something? Here was a man, 52 years old, who was dying and he knew it. There's no bitterness there. There's no angst or anxiety there. No, no, he looks back over his life and he says, you know, the life that I have lived is the greatest life in all of the world. It's a life simply spent in service to the Lord. If you're looking for the reason as to why there's so much misery, discontent, and unhappiness in our world today, among, can I say, among unbelievers and believers alike, it's likely that a life lived in service, listen, A life lived in service to the king of kings is the sweetest life there is, while a life lived in service to oneself is utterly unsatisfying and disappointing. The sooner, listen, the sooner we all figure that out, the better. The sooner I come to the realization that life lived for me is one big disappointment. Life lived for Jesus is so satisfying, rewarding, and fulfilling. You make the choice. Who are you gonna live for? Mary said, I'm gonna live for you, Lord. She viewed herself as a servant of the Lord. But notice, secondly, she submitted her will to his will. Mary didn't sign up for this, nor did she ask for this. She wasn't seeking this opportunity. She didn't hear that, hey, there's a, there's a great opportunity that you can, you, and she ran to the closest place and put her name on the list. No, no, she, she didn't do any of those things. She was probably like any other young girl during this period maybe eager to marry Joseph and to be the mother to his children. Surely, surely she knew what the others might think and say. She had worked hard, no doubt, to develop a pristine reputation, and this calling that God was calling her to do would probably bring about many questions in the minds of others. She did not argue or seek a way out of what God was calling her to do. She submitted her will to God's will, and made herself available for his use. Here's the point. Her surrendered heart made it much easier for her to surrender her will and even her body to the Lord's use. So why marry tonight? I think we get some clues in this text, don't we? I believe this text reveals why God chose her. And it's also, I believe, a helpful reminder to those of us who long also to be used by the Lord in our lives as well. You see, the principles haven't changed. God still demands purity from his people. He demands, listen, he demands that if if he's gonna use you, that you believe that God can do anything. And he demands that you surrender your will to his will. When the Lord calls us to his will, may we respond like Mary did here in the 38th verse. But can 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 I encourage you to respond to even a higher response? May we respond as Jesus did, who prayed there in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified, not as I will, but as thou wilt.